Welcome to the Immigrant Computer Scientists podcast, where we talk to computer scientists who immigrated from their home countries for study or for work or for other reasons. In these oral history interviews, you will find established and renowned computer scientists from across academia and industry narrating their experiences of immigrating from where they grew up to a completely different land, often the US. My name is Indy Gupta, and I'm your host. This is a remix episode. As usual, you can find all episodes and detailed episode guides on our website, csimmigrant.org. Again, that's csimmigrant.org. And you can find us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and basically wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is structured into acts or chapters. You'll find chapter markers on your audio player, and you can use these to jump between the acts or chapters. It's a chance I started this research. Even the most distinguished careers have humble beginnings. In fact, even random beginnings at times. Now, if you're a student, you might think, I like Area X because maybe it's a hot area with a lot of jobs. Maybe I really like the area. Or, you know, other reasons that you may try to rationalize your preference for a particular area. Yet, how we choose an area to specialize in, or even the act of starting to do research, can be random choices, often driven by chance occurrences outside of one's control. First up, Radha Mihalcha, professor at the University of Michigan and director of Michigan AI Lab. Radha grew up in Romania starting from the 1970s and immigrated to the US in 1997 for graduate school. Here's my conversation with Radha Mihalcha. So as you're nearing the end of your bachelor's, you're starting to think about next steps in your career. What options did you consider then? So that was, I think it was an interesting point. I wasn't considering coming to the United States. So that's one thing. I didn't feel I was ready to work. Well, sometimes choices are made for us. So like I said, I never yeah. considered United States. Um, and I also mentioned that I wasn't the model student going to school every day. Um, and so when I was in, so it was my senior year, my graduating year, the fifth year for me. Um, and that's when email came in. So it was a big deal. Yeah. Oh, we get email and every student was getting an email account. And when every student got an email account, I wasn't there because I wasn't going to school. And so I came some days after and said, oh, you know, can you please create also an email account for me? Uh, I said, yeah, sure, I, I will. So they created an email account for me. And I think it's because I came days after, they linked it by mistake to the master year. So they were the mailing list. And so there was, my account was linked to the master year. And so that's how I got an email that was sent um, by a professor in the United States talking about scholarships to do a PhD in the United States, which was sent to the master students, but I wasn't a master student. I just got it because of that mistake, because of me not <laughs> going to school. Um, and that's the first time ever that I saw, well, maybe this could be an option to go and do a PhD somewhere. Um, and I, I applied. So it was between the time when I got that email by mistake and the time I was here in the United States was just like a couple of months. I just went for it. I applied. I didn't apply anywhere else. I didn't even know that application was a thing. 
I just had that email that was talking about doing a PhD at SMU in Dallas. Yeah. And I sent my application in. I didn't have a master, which was unusual, but they said, well, you have good grades, so why not? <laughs> so That's such a serendipitous sequence of events. You're not going to class and then the email coming and then you're going into request an email, but then getting put in the wrong list. But then you get an email there that points you to the programs in the US. It was. And now it's my daughter primarily who's pointing to that email because I met my husband here. He's from Romania too, but I met him here. Uh, he was also doing a PhD at SMU. So she's saying, well, if there wasn't that email, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't exist <laughs> because I wouldn't have met. So a lot, exactly. a lot of what followed can be connected there. I think this actually happens a lot to all of us, except that yeah. A lot of times we cannot put our finger on it. Like I, I know I can't put my finger on it because of that mistake, because I wasn't. So I, I know when it happened. A lot of times we don't know when it happens, but there are a lot of these choices that just fully change our trajectories and we are not even aware. The next voice is Tal Rabin, head of research at Algorand Foundation and professor at UPenn. Tal grew up in Israel starting from the 1960s and immigrated to the U.S. in 1994 for her postdoctoral studies. Here's my conversation with Tal Rabin. So then you you go to the master's, and then how do you choose the topic that you're working on? Is it, Do you take to your topic naturally? or? It's very interesting that you're asking about it, because just recently I got the Stock Test of Time Award, the 30-year Test of Time Award. This is for my master's work. And Michael Ben-Or, who was my advisor, just gave me that problem. I knew nothing. And I had to read around and so on, and I worked on it. And when we got the award, in fact, it's not that I didn't know it before, but I sent him an email and I said, you'd really changed my life. I mean, you set the course of my life by just giving me that question. Because it made me want to do these things, and the area, everything about it. And I'm grateful to him. Yes, yet again, chance. But it was a moment in my life that really there was a split, there was a fork in the road. And it was just that, giving me that question to work on. And so you got that question from your advisor and you, as you said, you, you don't have any background, you're looking into it. What were some of the feelings in your mind, you know, that I have to read a whole lot of stuff? How do I even start this? How did you navigate that? You know, it's lucky for me. This was 1986. How much a lot of stuff were there? was there? There wasn't much, okay? In this thing, there was one paper. Mm. I managed to read it. And uh, and then really it was uh, trying to think, but these were very new days of this area. And uh, these papers sort of launched this area, which now is sort of known as multi-party computations. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot to read. What excited you most about this life of research? Very early on in your master's as you started doing research, what was it that made you think, Hmm, this could be a career for me. Something exciting about finding out something that wasn't known before. That only you know, that only you know for a moment. The thrill of discovering new things. Yes. And the effort that is exerted to reach it. 
that it's not a trivial thing, you know, that you had to invest a lot of time, a lot of thought in it. And suddenly it's there. I remember that moment when I solved this problem. I I know where I was sitting. And this is, I don't know how many years ago, I can't calculate. But I was sitting in the kitchen, in my parents' kitchen next to the radiator. I remember this because Mm -hmm. it was such a meaningful moment in my life. And how did you react at that moment when you discovered? I, I was thinking looks like I solved it. And it's funny, I was uh, studying with a friend of mine and he was sitting across the table and I turned to him and I said, you know, I think I solved my problem. Mm. I remember this whole thing. The next voice is Regina Barzilai, professor at MIT. Regina grew up in Moldova or Moldavia, a nation in East Europe. Then she immigrated to Israel in 1990, did her bachelor's in Israel Then she immigrated to the U.S. in 1997 as a housewife, but then did her Ph.D. in the U.S. Here's my conversation with Regina Barzilai. During my bachelor's degree, I I had an exam, a class, remember it was called numerical analysis. And yeah. um, we had to walk in the lab because we didn't, I didn't, right. clearly, I didn't have a computer at home. So, you know, I, this was the first time I did MATLAB and um, I start, I, I took this class. And then what happened was I, uh, you know, I did my, um, you know, I taught one year and I liked it. And then I started teaching the second year. I already graduated, you know, I had a degree, I graduated. And then I realized that actually I don't quite see myself teaching until the end of my biological life. because, you know, it's the same material. So you, whatever you teach this year, then you teach the same book next year. You know, in Israel, at least at the time, there were clear rules, you know, which materials you could use. So it's not like you can select a book and teach according to whatever you like. You, you know, there's a textbook, you're teaching based on the textbook. And then I realized, you know, maybe it's not what I want to do at all. Um, uh, it's fine. I don't mind teaching and doing something else, but not just teaching all the time at the same stuff. And uh, and at the time, I was trying kind of to discover if I can go, because in my university, math and computer science were the same department. And I was right. actually asking, can I, you know, is it possible for me to study or to take classes or do something in computer science? And it all, because you already graduated with undergrad from our department, you cannot take undergraduate classes, but you can sign up for master in computer science. And that's how... I end up going to master's in computer science and they told me you can take the same classes that you wanted to take, but you just need to write a thesis. And um, I said, okay. And um, it was at the time a small university and I was looking around and thinking, you know, who will take me to write a thesis? And, you know, today we of course advise our students that you need to look at, you know, what kind of papers a professor writes and um, uh, how are your research interests match with them. I just remember I liked my teacher in computer architecture, and I I really liked him. And I asked him, is it possible that you take me, you know, as your student? And he told me, yeah, but my research is in natural language processing. I said, okay. You know, I had no clue what is natural language processing. I said, okay, why not? And that's how I started doing research. So that was your first taste of research. You did no research in your bachelor's, but 
because you wanted to study computer science, you started working with this person. Forced to do a thesis. That's the beginning. Mm. Because before that, I never thought of doing research again. I was in this mm. mentality, I'm going to be a teacher until mm. I tried it. And, yeah. uh, and, and at that point, I, just, I was pretty much forced to do the thesis because there was no other way for me to study computer science. And um, that's how mm. I end up selecting natural English processing. And Moshe Vardi, Godel Prize winner and Nuth Prize winner, talks about how he selected his first problems. When was your first experience with research in computer science? So the master was uh, a two year. Master was a two years, and you're supposed to first year was mostly finding a, a, a taking courses and trying to, to define a, a research project. And then the second year is you still take courses, but you do your research project, you write a master thesis, and you're done. And so I started in 1976, and then in the in the spring I take a, a theory seminar. Mm -hmm. In a theory seminar, we just have to we had to read papers and give a presentation. And the paper ends up with some questions. And uh, question something very interesting and I I go to the professor I said this is a really interesting question I'd like to think about it he said yeah I'll be happy to to advise you on this question that's how it started mm -hmm. so the questions were there in the paper and the, essentially my master thesis was trying to to answer these questions from the from the paper left open so you didn't have much of an experience doing research while you were in the BSc program it was only no, after the nothing MSc nothing program. the BSc was actually the physics was a very special major. It was it was such a the the course requirement was so high yeah. that it it was considered what they call expanded major. I see. So so you could basically you didn't have to take a minor. Mm. So essentially, I took it, it. It was as if I took a major and two minors because I did also a minor in computer science on top of expanded major. Mm. But there was no, I had no, no research experience at the time. The next voice is Tamar Solorio, professor at the University of Houston. Tamar grew up in Mexico, starting from the 1970s, and after finishing her PhD from Mexico, she immigrated to the U.S. in 2005 as a lecturer. Here's my conversation with Tamar Solorio. So then you're in your bachelor's, and did you get involved in um, trying out research while you were a bachelor's student, or did that come later? Yeah, no, we didn't get any exposure. I during my bachelor's, I got a single class in artificial intelligence. Um, but sadly, that wasn't very exciting because it was a prologue class and I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't fell in love. Like at that time, I was thinking about um, graduating and joining one of those, um, what is the name for these companies that the U.S. started to open in in the in Mexico, particularly in the border states, I see. where um, 
I don't remember that what's the name for maquilas in English, but you know, they seem to have good job opportunities for people with a bachelor's in computer science. Mm. Um, and so, you know, remember I had this in the back of my mind that I want to get a good job. Yeah. I want to make money to make sure they were good. Yeah. Um, so I was preparing for that until someone went and gave a talk to the university. Uh, and they talked about these fellowship opportunities to study a master's degree. And I always had this idea that, well, I will go work for a couple of years, get some money, and then I will come back and get a master's. Mm. For some reason, I wanted to do a master's, even though I didn't know um, what it was uh, or research. I just assumed that a, a, another degree will give me better opportunities, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is where you see the lack of some guidance, because I didn't have any guidance at home about that, right? Because mm-hmm. mom and dad didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't know about this. And so, um, but lucky for me, when I was the last semester, that's when I heard about this opportunity to study in Puebla. Mm-hmm. So this was a professor from uh, Inaoe uh, trying to recruit students from Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. And so he went and gave a talk there. Um, and that was also kind of like an accident that happened because I listened to the talk, um, but I was still wanting to move on to, to Ciudad Juarez and work um, because I had a plan to go move, move with a friend and go work and uh, try out the life as an independent person <laughs> outside home. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, that plan didn't agree with my mom. And so my mom was like, no, you're not going to Ciudad Juarez. It's a horrible, very dangerous city. By that time, you already heard a lot of things. Yeah. Bad things happening at border cities, right? Yeah. So, and, and I wanted to leave home by then because I was already old enough. Yeah. <laughs> I was finishing my bachelor's. So I said, okay, you don't like it that I go to Ciudad Juarez and I'm going to go study to Puebla. I'm going to get a master's because I get a fel- I can get a fellowship and I don't need to worry about money because I'm going to get paid to study. Um, we sounded like a good deal. And so I went there and I applied and I took the, the selection process and I, w- I entered. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's such an interesting combination of a almost an accidental random talk that you heard plus your desire to become an independent woman plus, um, I guess, um, constraints or recommendations by your parents not to go in a particular geographical location that, that led you to do um, the MS and then the PhD in Puebla. Yeah, it's, it's so funny because it didn't have to do anything with me being curious about doing research. I didn't even know what research was at the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. right? It's just this is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to explore something else and to go somewhere else and to see other things um and that was my chance and i took it but then you know very very early on in my master's degree i real i started observing the life of academics um reading papers because in our master's degrees we were exposed to research we had to do a research project Mm -hmm. um i started reading papers and seeing what the professors do um and i started liking that life of you know i'm going to focused on a problem and I want to find a good solution to the problem and I want to contribute mm. um, to the field, uh, a, a solution that is, that is good. And I, and I wanted to engage in that dialogue. I wanted to belong to that community. Um, mm. 
or research and stuff. Right. It brought out the competitive side in you and also it was yeah. solving puzzles, right? Yeah. yeah, and I want to publish and I want to go to conferences and so. Right. If you liked this episode, then you can also listen to the full interviews with each of these amazing technologists in season two of our show. That's in episodes 24 through episode 35. Each interview features the origin story of the technologist, their educational path, their decision and thoughts on immigration, obstacles they faced along the way, and a discussion on their retrospectives and perspectives. Check it out. Again, that's episodes 24 through 35 in season two of our show. As usual, you can find all episodes and detailed episode guides on our website, csimmigrant.org. Again, that's csimmigrant.org. And you can find us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and basically wherever you get your podcasts. All the music used in episodes of the Immigrant Computer Scientist podcast is royalty-free. All voice recordings were performed with and are reproduced with full consent of narrators and participants. You can find music credits on our website. Join the online discussion about this podcast on all major social media, including Twitter and Facebook, with the handle CSImmigrant and hashtag CSImmigrant. And of course, the episode guide is available at our website, csimmigrant.org. This is the Immigrant Computer Scientists Podcast.